Catching you up on the latest news from around the Sunshine State that you should know, heading into this Monday morning, April 3rd. I'm Elliot Trito, and you're listening to The Point from WUFT News. Life on Florida's barrier islands amid the threat of extreme weather has always been a gamble. But island population growth continues to climb, despite increasing awareness of the coastal risks associated with climate change. For the six-month anniversary of Hurricane Ian's strike on southwest Florida, environmental journalism students in the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications reported on the state's barrier islands. I spoke with Living on the Edge contributing writers Alan Haleli and Maria Guadalupe Vilchez about how the population on Florida's barrier islands grew. My story is kind of centering around all of this population growth that's happening throughout the state of Florida um, and, you know, the paradise that's in peril, This par- these coastal communities that, um, you know, exist throughout the state that are um, susceptible to hurricanes, susceptible to sea level rise, um, some of the most vulnerable communities for both of those issues Um you know, they're seeing this population growth and and that's inherently problematic. So it's these residents' paradise, but inherently it is in peril um, because barrier islands, uh, like we say in the story, are destined to disappear. This collection of stories was produced in the environmental journalism class uh, taught by Cynthia Barnett, who is a wonderful Florida author and also the environmental journalist in residence here at the college. Um, And uh, it's, it was Every semester that that course is taught, um, the students choose a a project that they're passionate about, and the stories are kind of all centering around that that project. Um, And, you know, in the wake of Hurricane Ian um, and all the devastation that we saw come out of Sanibel Island and Pine Island and these communities down in southwest Florida, um, we made the decision as a class that Barrier Islands would be our focus talking about um, just the diverse issues that they face in the face of um, increasing storms and sea level rise. Alan, one of your sources, Dr. Tom Hochter, said the attitude hasn't changed. There is no interest in preparing people for the realities of living in Florida. Can you expand upon that? Yeah. um, So if we know anything about Florida is that Floridians are stubborn. you know, no matter what what comes their way, they always want their piece of, of Florida's coastal paradise. And um, I think that's what 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 Dr. Hochter was getting at is that, um, you know, Florida will continue to see this growth as, um, you know, we've seen in, in places like Orlando and places on the coast as well. Um, you know, both inland and coastal communities are seeing this huge growth because there's a new renewed interest in Florida. Um, and, you know, barrier islands are no different, and that's kind of what we explore in the story as well. Now, Maria, can you tell me when you started working on the story? Yeah, yeah. So um, we started this project in the fall semester, and essentially it started out with I went to the library and checked out a book on barrier islands with the author is Richard Davis, and so he's one of, like, the leading experts on barrier islands, and so there's not a lot of information funny enough, like on Barrier Islands, despite living in Florida, and we have so many of them. And so this book was one of the very important ones that define what they are. And so with those definitions, did a little bit more research, talked to, again, Dr. Tom Hochter, and we were able to gather different data layers for our map. We used ArcGIS. First, essentially, we wanted to identify 
what are the big major barrier islands in Florida. And then after, I would say during December, January, Professor Barnett, who was like the, the series essentially came to me and was saying, you know, Alan really wants to see, you know, and, and follow up this story on population since, you know, a lot of people after uh, Hurricane Ian were, were buying properties on these barrier islands. Um, and we were just kind of like, you know, it's interesting. So to follow that up, um, we ended up meeting with um, Richard Dottie. He gave us um, census track data. So um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with like census, take it, and essentially it's trying to see like how many people live all throughout the state of Florida. So we were able to, um, using first initially like the database um, for the shoreline provided by FWC that uh, Dr. Tom Hockter was able to give us, we were able to essentially like identify those islands and then using the track census data we were able to follow through and actually see how many people are living there and so with the census track data that we have it only accounts for permanent residences so there are other ways to get a more accurate account when we look at like seasonal recreational like residences and that kind of stuff since there are a lot of like snowbirds but yeah that's that's a little bit of what the process was like alan can you tell me about the real estate market and how it's critical to the story so one of the interesting anecdotes we have in the story is that um, this scientist and professor at Florida Gulf Coast University, Brian Rist, um, to show that there is this interest in in recovering from Hurricane Ian and um, specifically within the real estate market, decided to buy this home uh, that is the one of the most expensive homes on the island just to, to show that he can. Um, and that, you know, there really is this renewed interest in in seeing um, development and growth on barrier islands, even in the face of these hurricanes. Um, and, you know, in, in the course of, of reporting, reporting that out, we we did realize that um, this was something that renewed interest in the real estate market in Southwest Florida, um, though the same concerns remain uh, with flooding and, and hurricanes and climate change. Maria, can you explain what GIS mapping is and why it's important to the story? Yeah, so GIS is a geographic informational system. So essentially what it does is it, it's it's a map. It's, you know, how we feed information into maps to try to understand different components of our daily lives or, you know, science. So it's the way in the context that I use GIS is essentially to look at like, you know, if we're working on turtles, trying to see their distribution, right? So how far do they travel? Or, you know, where is, you know, the hot spots of where are like these turtles mainly found and that kind of stuff. So that's just like an example of what GIS would be used for. And of course, it's used for other uh, million things. So looking at differences in like landscape and like habitats. So it's it's very applicable um, in the sciences. And when we talk about, you know, populations and economics, it's also really relevant because it's just a, a nice, fun, visual way to, to see data. That's the way that I would describe it. And so JS analysis, again, like there are many things that you can do with it. And it's it's very complex, but super fun to use. And again, super fun to play around with colors, settings, to make it visual and appealing for viewers. And I think a lot of people oftentimes forget because it's used so much in a scientific way that it can be used for the public um, to see as well and make it more interactive. So that was one of the goals with this project was to make this GIS map interactive so that viewers can go zoom in and see where these islands specifically are. 
And then if they click on an island, they'll be able to see population from 2010 to 2020, and then also see the changes in that as well. And the mapping, as I understand, is not ready yet, but should be ready sometime this week. Uh, I did want to ask, um, how come Florida didn't have these barrier islands quantified? Yeah, um, I do not know. Um, it is very interesting. You know, it's funny because when we started this project and you look up barrier islands in Florida on Google, um, you literally just get a list naming some of the major ones, but there's no map at all that says, okay, this is where they are. You can search them up individually and they'll show up, but it's not, you know, as easy to be like, okay, this is all of Florida and these are all our islands. Um, and so um, with our conversations with Professor Barnett and um, Dr. Tom Hochter, a lot of it was just like, yeah, there's no existing data. And given that, you know, there's a lot of hurricanes coming through and storms, you know, thinking about climate change and the intensity of that, it's important because Bureau Islands are, you know, really dynamic in that they're always changing. And so one day they're there and the other day they can be gone. And so people are developing on these barrier islands, you know, also thinking about how people get in and out of them, you know, to the mainland. So like transportation systems, you know, it's just overall like super important to understand and why there hasn't been a map that, you know, quantifies how many we have in the state. I have no idea, but it's cool to, to be on the frontier of that. That was Living on the Edge contributing writers Alan Haleli and Maria Guadalupe Vilchez about how the population on Florida's barrier islands grew. Now let's catch you up with today's stories from around the state. The Florida legislature has tried for years to make changes to alimony laws. According to WFSU, in the last decade, lawmakers have sent legislation to the governor three times and was vetoed all three times. Now they're trying again with one notable change involving retroactivity. The House has approved a bill seen as an extension of last year's legislation critics dubbed the Don't Say Gay Law, expanding the prohibition against gender and sexual orientation instruction to pre-K through 8th grade and more strictly regulate the use of pronouns in schools. According to Florida Politics, the bill restricts the use of pronouns and defines marriage as heterosexual. The Latrick County Commission held a meeting Tuesday to increase maximum towing rates in unincorporated parts of the county. This means that in the event of a car accident, if the towing company has to come and remove the car from intersection traffic, they wouldn't have to tell the owner of the car anything in order to have it moved and stored, and they would be charged a maximum rate depending on the size and distance for the tower. Subscribe to The Point Newsletter, which drops the latest photo stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit WFT.org to subscribe and view the most recent issues. I'm Elliot Trito, and you've been listening to The Point from WFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Monday.